All right, Leviticus chapter 25, and we'll start reading the first seven verses. It says, And the Lord spake unto Moses in Mount Sinai, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When you come into the land which I give you, then shall the land keep a Sabbath unto the Lord. Six years thou shalt sow thy field, six years thou shalt prune thy vineyard, and gather in the fruit thereof. But in the seventh year shall be a Sabbath of rest unto the land, a Sabbath for the Lord. Thou shalt neither sow thy field nor prune thy vineyard. That which groweth of its own accord of thy harvest thou shalt not reap, neither gather the grapes of thy vine undressed, for it is a year of rest unto the land. And the Sabbath of the land shall be meat for you, for thee and for thy servant and for thy maid and for thy hired servant and for thy stranger that sojourneth with thee and for thy cattle and for the beasts that are in thy land shall all the increase thereof be meat. And so um, we're going to look at chapter 25 uh, this morning and see how God had provided hope and rest and liberty freedom and redemption to the children of Israel. Now, Leviticus is a book that's got a lot of laws, a lot of ways in which the people of God were to live once they got in the land. Some of these laws um, are just part of the natural law. You have laws such as uh, loving your neighbor. Jesus quoted Leviticus when he talked uh, in the Gospels about loving your neighbor as yourself. That is an Old Testament law. That is a part of the natural law, the moral law that God has for all people of all time. Some of the laws have to do with the people that lived in the land, about how they are, what happens if your ox gets out of its fence and goes and kills somebody. What are you supposed to do then? Well, the book of Leviticus has laws to tell you how to do that. Uh, what happens if you, uh, you know how to make restitution and those types of things. Um, and then there are some laws that have to do with the worship of God um, and how the people in this covenant with God were to worship the Lord. Um, I'm not an Israelite, and you're not an Israelite. I, I guess if we all go back in our heritage far enough, we'd all get back to, uh, you know, we might be Israelites, but I know we all go back to, to Noah anyway. But we're not Israelites, and we live in West Virginia, not in Israel. So the laws that applied to the nation of Israel about building fences so people won't fall, um, the restitution, we can take the principles of those things, but they don't apply to you and I because we're not citizens of that nation. The worship laws, such as we have in, in chapter 25, this kind of overlaps because it deals with the people in the land, the citizens of that nation in that covenant, but also how they are to worship the God of that covenant. So I'm not an Israelite, I don't live there, and I'm also not in the old covenant. So these laws um, don't apply to us that God requires us in West Virginia to take um, every seventh year off and, and, and take, a, take the year off from there. That was their law at their time, but not our law at our time. But God didn't give these laws for no reason. 
there was practical reasons why he gave those laws, but they pointed to something. Why didn't God give Israel these laws of, of rest? And then after the text that we read, starting in verse number 8, there's another law talking about the year of Jubilee. Well, why did God give those to us? Well, um, like I said, there's practical reasons for the children of Israel, but, but there's an overarching theme that he was teaching Israel to look for their Messiah, to look for a rest, a, a Sabbath rest that it was to come, an eternal Sabbath rest, an eternal Jubilee. And so that's what we want to look at this morning in this chapter and see how this Old Testament worship and these Old Testament laws actually were fulfilled in Jesus Christ, and we can see how Christ is, is greater than this um, seventh year rest, and then the 49th year rest, as we'll see in a little bit. So in the first seven verses, we have the year, the Sabbath year. So every seven years, the land would get a Sabbath. And so in this verse, the earth is personified like, like a person. And so every seven years, the, the farmland would get a rest. You weren't allowed to sow any crops. You weren't allowed to prune your vineyard. You weren't allowed to have a harvest time. Because you just let stuff go, it's going to grow anyway, right? So they weren't allowed to go and have a harvest and say, well, we're going to rest from pruning, and we're going to rest from sowing, but whenever harvest time comes, we're going to go and get everything we can and, and make our money. No, it was a rest. Just like they had a Sabbath where they would do no work, do no labor, the whole year was a rest unto the Lord. And they just let everything grow wild. And then the, the animals would go out in the field and they would eat. And, and um, there was a practical reason for this, first of all. And that was that the, the nutrients would be replenished in the land and uh, there would be soil. Or in the in the soil, and that would make that wouldn't burn the land out. My grandpa um, would lease out parts of his fields to people, and they would go and they would uh, cut hay, and so that way grandpa wouldn't have to fool with cutting it, and you know then he could make a little bit of money, and then, but the person who did the hay would make a little money and get the hay and and so forth. He had one person one time that every cutting. Um, every every chance he could, he tried to wring every little bit of, of hay he could have, and he never left any. He never left the the grass at the end. And I think he did that one or two years. And after that, there wasn't anything there. And he said, "Well, the, you know, this this field wasn't any good." And he said, "Well, it was good before you got here." And he said, "You're not giving the land any rest. You're, you're robbing it of all vital nutrients. You're trying to squeeze everything you can out of it, and you've ruined you've ruined the field." And so. This is sort of the principle. They were to give the land rest on a practical reason, just to let uh, the land rest, to let um, you know, the, the things die and go back into the ground to, to feed the soil, so to speak. And so there's a practical reason for that. But the, reason, the, the main reason for this is that God will provide for them. So the first thing you might think of, well, how are we going to eat? If we just let things go, how are we going to eat? Well, God um, does answer that question um, a little bit later on in the chapter. But, but that's, that's the, the thing here. What are we going to do? How are we going to eat? Well, you have to trust God. God will provide. God will provide for his people. 
Now, this might seem a little strange also to us because we've got synthetic fertilizers and, and if we've got a field that's dry, we can water it, we can irrigate, and they can, I've seen pictures of the land over there now where it was once a desert, now it's, it's blooming and budding. And um, I've seen people say, well, this is proof that the Lord's coming back because Israel is blooming yet again. Well, no, what it is proof of is that they still haven't turned to the Lord Jesus Christ. They still haven't turned to the Lord. And they just said, well, if God won't make this a land flowing with milk and honey anymore, then we'll just get water from somewhere else and we'll try to do it ourselves. It's still not a, a turning of away. And, and that's one thing that, it, that we lose a little bit. I, I'm thankful for fertilizer and so forth. I, I'm not saying that. But they relied 100% on God. And if it didn't rain, they couldn't water their plants. They didn't, they didn't have the irrigation to come and do this. If there was a drought, there was a famine. They relied upon God. They relied upon God. They couldn't go uh, to, to Walmart and get their groceries. They were totally relied upon God. And so now in the seventh year, they all had to stop and just say, no, we're not going to work. We're not going to do anything. We're going to trust in God. This also made them acknowledge the fact that this land belonged to God. Several times in this uh, or a couple times in this section, God reminds them that this is his land. It wasn't their land. It was God's land. God was the landowner. They were just the stewards of it. And what happened is the people of Israel who owned the land started to think, well, this is my land, not God's land. And so if it's their land, they said, well, I'll do whatever I want to with it. And I don't care what God says. This is my land, and I'm going to make some money on this Sabbath year. But this law was to remind them that it was God that owned the land. It was God that provided for them. But God was rich in mercy. Now, you might have done whenever what I did whenever I thought about this. Every seven years, you rested and didn't, uh, you didn't prune, you didn't sow. I thought, boy, I would have liked to have had that back whenever I was living on the farm. That had been, been all right. Every seven years, you don't do anything, um, but just go out and, and reap. But, uh, you know, if, you, if you're a landowner, you might not have thought that. Um, if you're a business owner, you might not think every seven years we're just not going to rest. Well, the, the point was for the people to stop and, and think about their life. Think about who owned them, who was in control of them, what was important about life, and that wasn't the consumption of things, and to remember that they were all God's people in that, in that country. And it didn't matter if you were rich, it didn't matter if you were poor, it didn't matter if you owned the land or you worked the land, that they all were God's people. And so what would happen is, is everything would just grow up wild, and whenever it was the normal harvest season, the people would just go out, and they'd go out, and when they were hungry, they would go out and get something to eat. They didn't go out and, and gain it to, to sell it. They didn't go out to, to go and, uh, 
and to store it, but they could just freely go and, and take it. Rich or poor, Jew or Gentile even, even the animals were just free to go and to take. It reminded them that they were one in, in God and that God was gracious, that God was not a respecter of persons, that God was gracious to his people, not because of who they were or what they did or what they had or how hard they worked, but God was gracious to his people. So this was supposed to be a time of rejoicing, a time of rest, a time to remember who they were, that it was God that was in control, that it was God that provides for them, that it was God's land that he allows them to have, it was, and the possession that they have was a gift from God. It was a time of rest. And sort of the division of labor was undone. I was uh, reading a biography of, of Joseph Stalin, and before the biography, before he gets into Stalin's life, really, he kind of gives a big overview of the history of Russia. And that was kind of interesting to read about. It was talking about Russia and Ukraine fighting and being antagonistic against each other for hundreds of years. So all the stuff that goes on now, it's been going on for hundreds of years. But there was always this unrest there because you had in the days of the czars you had those royal people who had everything then you had the slaves then in the days uh, where you had the, the rich landowners they had the people that worked the, the serfs that worked for them and so they didn't really have anything so you had the uh, rich and the poor and then Stalin comes along and, they, and the, the Marxists they used that to antagonize people, uh, the rich versus the poor, the upper, you know, that's what Marxists do, is they divide people. And so, it, always before it was rich versus poor, upper class versus lower class, and middle class, and, and get everybody to hate one another. Now the Marxists do it um, in different ways. You know, they're doing it through um, gender and that kind of stuff, but it's all the same. You pit people against each other, make unrest, and, and bring it all down. Well, you might, some people will read this and they think, well, yeah, that's what it's supposed to be. Tear everything down. Everybody, make everybody equal. But what this was not doing was causing unrest. This would have not had any unrest to start with. Because God reminds them, this doesn't belong to you. The whole, the whole presupposition with Marxism is there is no God. It's all that there is in this life. There is no God, um, and, and uh, religion is just a drug for the masses. That's Marxism. God says, I am the Lord your God. In verse 17. Ye shall not oppress one another, but, fear, but thou shalt fear thy God, for I am the Lord your God. So the, the starting point was this, is God is Lord, Jehovah is God. And Jehovah, out of his graciousness and his mercy, has given these people land. And in God's providence, some people are going to be better off than others. You'll always have the poor with you, Jesus said. You can't eradicate poverty. And, but what God did in his grace and his mercy is take one year 
and say, we're going to remember that I am God and I am gracious and I have given you this land and no matter if you've got a lot or if you don't have a lot at all, you're going to worship me this year and you're going to rest and if, you, if you've got people who work for you, you're going to back off and let them rest and remember that you only have because I've given it to you. And if you work from somebody, you're going to back off and you're going to rest. Because God provides for you and he is your Lord and your God. And so they were to humble themselves before God and thank him for what he's given. But the thing is, it probably didn't happen very much. If you look over in 2 Chronicles chapter 36, you'll find that this this whole setup probably didn't happen very much at all, actually. Because it says, 2 Chronicles 36, 21, to, feel, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah. So, the people of Judah were carried away captivity to Babylon. And they were there under, to the reign of the Persians to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah and to the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. For as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill three score and ten years. So they had not been keeping this Sabbath every seven years. And the Lord had been keeping track said, okay, you're not going to keep my Sabbath this year. Okay. 14 years later, oh, you're not going to do it again. Okay. 21 years, okay, you're not going to do it again, and on and on. Um, and then when it, and the captivity came, there were 70 years where the Lord said, now the land's going to have its rest. I, I told you to give the land rest, and you didn't do it. Now it's going to have rest because there's not going to be anybody that lives here. So the Lord tells us that they just didn't do it. Probably because the landowners didn't want to have that year where they didn't have anything coming in. And probably because the people didn't have anything, didn't want to have a year where they weren't getting what little bit they could get. And they might say, well, I'm, I'm in a tight spot. I, I need every penny I can get a, my hands on. I can't, afford not to, I can't afford not to work. I have to. Even though God said to. Why didn't they do that? Well, because it's drilled into us as human beings of a work and reward uh, mindset. And probably because uh, we were created to obey God. And there in that covenant of works in the garden, if Adam kept that covenant of works, then if he obeyed God, then he would receive the blessing of the reward. And so that's the way people act. If I'm going to get anything, it has to be by my hands, not by God's grace. Now, for some, in some circumstances, that's a good thing. You don't, you don't want to be lazy and don't just lay around and think that um, stuff is just going to come to you. Consider the ant, God says. Watch the ant. Watch how the ant works, and that's how you ought to be. Paul says, you don't work, you don't eat. But this 
religious festival wasn't so much about not working, but trusting in God and resting in Him. And believing that God is going to give us that rest and God is going to take care of us. And so, well, I can't just trust God to take care of me. I can't trust God and rest in His promises. I have to be about doing something. I have to be uh, working with my hands, otherwise I'm going to die. Well, I think you can see the spiritual principle here. That we have rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. But we're kind of natural Arminians, aren't we? That we think, yes, I know the gospel says that we are to trust Christ and, and come to him for rest and, and believe in him and trust in him. But I gotta do something or I'm gonna die. I gotta get my hands in it. I can't just trust Christ. I can't just rest in what he's done for me and believe that he saved my soul. I have to get in there and start doing something. I have to get in there and help him. I have to get in there and, and start showing uh, God how much I really believe and get to work. I can't rest in my salvation. I can't rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we, we say, yes, Jesus saved me, but I have to finish the job. Yes, Jesus saved me, but, but I have to help him. Because I can't just rest and trust that God has saved me from my sins. And you see what happens with Israel, it led to disaster. If we don't trust Christ and rest in his truth and his promises, it's not going to end well for us. We're not going to have the joy that we should have and the comfort that we should have in Christ Jesus. We're not going to have the assurance that we have because we can't work good enough to, to uh, we can't, we're not perfect, in other words. We can't work hard enough in order to, to give ourselves assurance that, that uh, because we're always going to fail. What we must do is trust God's promises because God said that he would take care of his people during this time. And so all they had to do was just rest. All they had to do is just stop and say, God said he's going to take care of me. I believe him. Jesus said, come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Trust me. Believe upon me, and I'll save your soul. So that's what this Sabbath year was teaching us. Well, starting in verse number 8, it says, And thou shalt number seven Sabbaths of years unto thee, seven times seven years, and the space of seven Sabbaths of the years shall be unto thee forty and nine years. Alright, so every seventh year is a Sabbath. Then every seventh Sabbath year is going to be set aside. So that's forty-nine years. Then thou shalt cause the trumpet of the Jubilee to sound. And a Jubilee is just the blasting of the horn is what that means. So there's a, there's a trumpet, a ram's horn that's Sounded on the tenth day of the seventh month in the day of atonement. You shall make the trumpet sound throughout all your land. And you shall hollow the fiftieth year. And proclaim liberty throughout all the land. Unto the inhabitants thereof. And it shall be a jubilee unto you. And you shall return every man into his possession. And you shall return every man into his family. A jubilee shall thou the fiftieth year be unto you. 
Ye shall not sow, neither reap that which groweth of itself, nor gather the grapes of the vine undressed. For it is jubilee. It shall be holy unto you. Ye shall eat the increase thereof out of the field. In the year of jubilee, ye shall return every man unto his possession. If thou sell aught unto thy neighbor, or buyest aught of thy neighbor's hand, thou shalt not oppress one another. According to the number of years after jubilee, thou shalt buy the neighbor by the neighbor, and according to the number of years of the fruits he hath to sell unto thee. According to the multitude of years, thou shalt increase the price thereof, and according to the fewness of years, thou shalt diminish it, the price of it. For according to the number of the years, the fruit doth he sell unto thee. Ye shall not, therefore, oppress one another. But the, thou shalt fear thy God, for I am the Lord your God. Wherefore, ye shall do my statutes, and keep my judgments, and do them. And ye shall dwell in the land in safety. The land shall yield her fruit, and ye shall eat your fruit, and dwell therein in safety. And, if ye shall say, what shall we eat the seventh year? So there's the question, right? What are we going to do? If we don't work that whole seventh year, behold, we shall not sow nor gather in our increase. Then I will command my blessing upon you in the sixth year, and that shall bring forth fruit for three years. And ye shall sow in the eighth year, and eat yet of old fruit until the ninth year, until her fruits come in, and ye shall eat of the old store. So, on the, after you have seven Sabbaths in a row, then you're going to have a seventh Sabbath. So this will be 49 years have gone by. Then you're in the 50th year, you begin a year of Jubilee. So after the Day of Atonement, they get a ram's horn, and they blow that ram's horn, and everybody would hear it. And it was a time when everything would just reset. Everything goes back to, to what it was to start with. It was a year of renewal and freedom and of grace. It was a time of liberty. Proclaim liberty throughout the land. So what happens in this time? Well, everything that a person loses gets restored back to them. Everything that a man has lost gets given back to them. If a person was sold into slavery, for example, then on the year of Jubilee, they get set free. Now, this probably didn't happen very much, and we won't turn there for the sake of time, but in Isaiah 5, 8, and Amos 2, 6, you find out that um, Israel was scolded for not doing this either. Well, why didn't they want to do this? Well, because during this time, let's say I'm in a tight spot, and I'm about to lose everything. I need some money. So I sell my inheritance. I sell my land um, so I can pay a debt. Well, this is the land that God gave my family. And so if I'm a, if I'm a man of Judah, God gave my family this land. And I look back and say, my, this land has been in my family for ten generations. But now I'm in a tight spot and, and I it's either this or or I'm going to die. I, I need the money. So I sell you the land. Well, remember whose land is it? It's God's land, isn't it? 
God gave the people their inheritance. So God has a, a year of jubilee, a year of freedom. And, and the Lord says, I'm not going to let you, your family, lose that land. So I'm going to restore it back to you. And so on the 50th year, everybody gets their land back. Or let's say I'm in even worse spot than that and I owe you a lot of money. And I just can't pay it and the land won't be enough to pay you back. Well, I could sell myself into slavery. And I could be your servant. And so... I would just go and I'd work for you. I wouldn't work my land because you have it now. And then I'd work for you and be your servant. Well, on the year of Jubilee, guess what? I'm free. And so you say, well, that's not very fair. If I buy a piece of property, it's mine. Well, it is fair. It wasn't unfair because everybody, this was the law. This always was the law. It wasn't like um, somebody comes through and says, we're going to change the rules on you. So, Let's compare this with what our government wants to do now. So now they want to say, we're going to call a year of jubilee for student loans. And so everybody's going to be set free from the student loans. And everybody's going to be free. And everybody thinks, oh, that's a great idea. Except for the people who loan the money. It's not a good idea from them because they said, well, wait a second, we had a deal. We'd loan you the money and you'd pay it back. And then... You got people who say, well, wait a second. I went to college and I paid for my school. And now I have to pay for somebody else's school. Well, that's not right. And then you got somebody else over here who said, well, I didn't go to college at all. And I worked. And I didn't, get, I didn't have a college education, so now I'm going to have to pay for somebody else's. See, that, that is, that's unjust, isn't it? Because you're not, the, the person that loaned the money is not going to get their money back. The person uh, that doesn't have something is going to pay for somebody else's. But that's not what this is. Because everybody knew the rules. This was always the law. So when you bought a piece of property, you knew that you weren't going to take possession forever. You were buying it for a certain period of time. And there in the, the passage, it was adjusted, the price was adjusted to how close you were to Jubilee. So if you got 40 years to go before Jubilee... And that's going to be a valuable piece of land. So, you know, I'm, I'm 44 years old, and if it's 40 years to the end of Jubilee, I'm going to, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, that's going to be probably longer than I'm going to live. So, sure, I might as well buy it, because it's going to be mine probably for the rest of my life. So they weren't really buying it, they were, they were leasing it. But if Jubilee is next year, I might say, I would like to get a little bit extra this year, so I'm going to buy this property from this person, and I'm going to have it for a year. I'm going to lease it from him, in other words. But then he's going to get it back. But I know this going into the deal, that he's going to get it back in so many years. And so it'd be cheaper if Jubilee was next year, as opposed to being 40 years down the road. So this was God's system of, of protecting the inheritance. It was a God system of making sure that uh, God's people didn't turn each other into to slaves because he delivered them out of the land of Egypt. So we find, starting in verse number 18, that he said, you shall do my judgments and, and do them, and you shall dwell safety in the land. 
This was God's way of protecting them. God gave them this land by grace. He, he promised it to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 and 17 and 24. God promised this land with it, to these people. Exodus 6. Deuteronomy 5. God promised this land. He said, I'm going to give you this land. It's going to belong to you. I'm going to bless it. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. This is my land, my gift, by my grace to you. And if you keep my commandments, if you do this, you'll dwell in the land safety, with safety. So they come in here and say, God has great, blessed us with the best land in the world. And he's going to continue to bless us with this great land. And all we have to do is keep his, his um, statutes and we'll live in safety. We'll live in peace. We can have assurance. I can enjoy the land for all my days if I follow him and his word. My children can enjoy that land if I just follow his word and do what he tells me to do. My grandchildren will enjoy it. We'll all enjoy it together. Everything will be bliss. There will be happiness. We just have to keep his word. But what happens with us sinful men? We start calculating. I don't know if I like this deal or not. I don't know if I like this idea of jubilee. I kind of like this guy who works for me. He gets, gets a lot done, and I don't think I want to let him go. I don't want to let the land rest. And so they don't trust God, and then what happens? They break the covenant. And then they break the covenant, and they lose what they have. So in order to gain what they desire, which is safety and rest and blessing, Instead of looking to God for those things, they look to what they do. They look to the, the land. And God ends up taking everything from them. So what is it that people want? They want rest. They want liberty. They want safety. They want blessings. And God says, I will give all these things to you if you look to me. What's the people do? They look to all the, the blessings that God gives and forgets God. So... Not only do they forsake God, but they don't get it what they wanted to start with, right? So the thing that they desired most was not God, it was the, the blessings. And so when they started looking to the blessings, they forgot God, and God took both things away from them. They didn't get the spiritual blessings of looking to God, and they didn't get the physical blessings that God gave them. You and I are just like this. We, we want the bless, blessings of life. And we will start forgetting God and look to the blessings of life. And then God will often chasten us and take the blessings of life away from us. But then also not take our salvation away, but maybe take the assurance of it away or the joy of our salvation away from us. Again, this jubilee was God provides. God has redeemed us. We're going to trust in God. In verse 23, it says, The land shall not be sold forever, for the land is mine. You are strangers and sojourners with me, and in all the land of your possession you shall grant redemption for the land. So again, God says, I own the land, and I give it to you. And because I do it this way, that means I, whoever has the land has a right to get it back. that a hard providence is not going to steal your possession. 
Somebody getting sick and can't work, and then they go into debt, and then now they can't pay the debt back, and they're in a tight spot from a hard providence. God says, the hard providence of life is not going to keep you from having your possession. You're not going to lose your inheritance because you got in a bad situation. Even if you make bad choices, you're not going to lose it because you're going to have, you're going to get it back. The inheritance was safe. Undefiled inheritance. Kept by God for his people. And so we didn't look at that in 1 Peter on Wednesday night. That the inheritance was from God and God's going to keep it for his people. They weren't going to lose it. It was safe. Well, starting in verse 25, it says, If thy brother be waxen poor and hath sold away some of his possessions, and if any of his kin come to redeem it, then it shall he redeem that which his brother sold. And if any man have none to redeem it, and himself be able to redeem it, then let him count years of the sale thereof and restore the overplus to the man whom he sold it, that he may return to his possession. But if not able to restore it, then that which is sold shall remain in in the hand of him that hath bought it unto the year of Jubilee, and in the Jubilee it shall go out and shall return his possession. So, I, well, we'll use, uh, um, we'll use Elijah and Caleb as an example. So, uh, Caleb goes, makes some bad business decisions. Now he's lost everything. And so he has to sell his land. Well, Elijah looks at his situation and says, I hate that for Caleb. And I, 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 don't, I don't like to see him lose his land. I'm going to go and buy it. Because Elijah is his near kinsman. He's his, his close relative. So he can go and buy the property for him. He can go to the person Caleb sold his land for and say, how much did he sell that for? And he says, well, he sold it for X amount. And he said, well... I'm going to enact the law of the near kinsman because law says I can go and buy it. And let's say you bought it off Caleb and said, well, I, I hate to do it because it's a good land, but that's what the law says, so I'm going to sell it back. So Elijah redeems the land. That way it stays in the family. The, the inheritance remains safe. So God has provided a, a way in which a person can get that land back before the year of Jubilee. There could be a kinsman, a redeemer, to come along and, and to buy that land back and give it back. Why would the kinsman do this? Out of grace and out of mercy. Because he is the redeemer. He is the, the kinsman. That is his responsibility. And, and so he goes and, and, and buys the debt that this man could not afford to, to pay and then restores back unto him an inheritance. Now, if the whole family is too poor to pay, then the Lord would redeem it at the year of Jubilee. And that's what the year of Jubilee was. You have the Day of Atonement, the captives are set free, and then all the people, whether they could afford it or not, would be restored back. And so this, the rest of this chapter, you find in verses 35 through 38, there are some exceptions to those rules in verses 29 through 34. If you lived in a city, you had one year to do it. 
And then if you didn't do it, if you didn't buy your house back in that one year, then you lost it because there was no land tied to it. It was just a house in the city. Well, verse 35 says, And if thy brother be waxen poor and fallen in decay with thee, then shall thou relieve him, yea, though he be a stranger or sojourner, that he may live with thee. Or take thou no usury of him, or increase, but fear thy God, and thy brother may live with thee. Thou shalt not give him thy money upon usury, nor lend him thy victuals for increase. I am the Lord your God, which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt, to give you the land of Canaan, and to be your God. And so the, the principle here is, it doesn't matter how tight a spot your brother is in. You treat him like a brother. You treat him like one of God's people. Even if it's a stranger that comes into your land, you treat him like a brother. You treat him with dignity. You treat him, uh, you love them. Why? Because God brought them out of Egypt. God redeemed you. God saved you and brought you into this land. And so if a brother has to sell himself, you treat him like a worker, not like a slave. In verse, starting in verse 39, and when the jubilee comes, he goes free. They belong to God. You fear God. And understand that God is no respecter of persons. Even those who are without, starting in verse 44, treat with compassion. The law of this land was for Jew and Gentile alike. Why? Verse 55 for unto me the children of Israel are servants. They are my servants whom I brought forth out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So God says, Israel belongs to me. I redeemed them. I purchased them. I bought them from slavery with the price of a Passover lamb. Jehovah, I am Jehovah, I am your God. And so now that I put you into this land, you remember what you were. And what I did for you, and you treat one another in the same way, as redeemed people, as people who were bought with a price, that I'm not better, any better than you, and you're not any better than me, and whether I'm rich and you're poor, or you're rich and I'm poor, we are God's people, we are God's servants. And if somebody sells themselves into slavery, you remember that you're my servant. So you might be a little bit better off in this life, but your bro you, you and your brother both are the servants of God. So they were to treat one another with respect and, and to love one another. And so the Sabbath was God's rest that he provided for them. And Jubilee was when God provided freedom. So in God, trusting in God, you had rest, in God, trusting in Christ, you have freedom and liberty. The sacrifice of the day of atonement, the horn was sounded, and the captives were set free. We'll read uh, one verse, and then we'll be done. In Isaiah 61, the Lord Jesus, in his ministry, came and quoted this, because it talked about him. The Spirit of the Lord... God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach the good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, 
the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. Jesus came and read this. And what was the meaning of it? He said, this is talking about me, Jesus says. What was it? To set the captives free. To proclaim the year of the Lord. That after the day of atonement, the captives are set free. There's victory. There is freedom. So Christ was our sacrifice. He was our atonement. But he is our jubilee. He is our Sabbath. We rest in him. We find freedom in him. We find liberty in him. And he has set us free from the bondage of sin. And we're no longer sin's captives. We're no longer the captain, uh, captives of our old nature. But we've been released. Freedom by God's grace. And rest in God's grace. We believe the promises. We rest in them. And we have been set free um, by our jubilee. Our, our Lord and Savior. All right, well, may.